Thank you for tuning in again to the Word of Life Ministries podcast for another Spirit-filled message with Rocky Brand. It has been a little while since we've been in this setting, so but praise God. Sometimes we have to take a few steps back and see what the Lord wants to do, and then just take it from there. So uh, for everybody that's watching on Facebook, we love you. Thanks for tuning in. Like this video. Share it. Um, if you got any prayer requests, shoot them in in the messages or send me a message. If you'd like to give to help the work of the ministry, shoot me a message and I'll tell you how you can do that. So, as I began to pray about what needed to be, what the Lord wanted me to be doing in this season, uh, as far as teaching-wise, it kind of deals with a long a long-term series. So, um, kind of like from start to, scra- to from start to finish. You know, so tonight the title of the message is You Must Be Born Again. But what is that and what does that even mean? So, in this as the Lord as I really really endeavored to hear from the Lord what the Lord's got to say in every matter. Um, but as I endeavored to hear this and and just kind of see what he wanted to do, you know, it seems like that I'll, there needs to be some more in-depth teaching on the new birth, right? And so a lot of times around here and, and other places you go and you see people share things and so on and so forth that, you know, you must be born again, um, you know, or you need to get saved. That's kind of a common colloquial expression around here is you need to get saved. And, and so, but what does that really mean? And so the thing that I find that people struggle with is that when they they question people, right? So they'll say, someone will say, well, you need to get, you need to get saved. You need to be saved. All right. Why? You know, a lot of times the answer that you get is, well, so you don't go to hell. Well, that's, <laughs> in, in essence, yes, that is true. But that's not the number one reason why we participate in salvation. And when people say, well, you must be born again, you know, a lot of people in the church, I don't feel like thoroughly understand that. What does that even mean? You know, people think that they're saved, but they don't understand. A lot of Christians, a lot of Christians don't understand the new birth. So, and we're not, we're not trying to talk bad about anybody. We're not knocking anybody. We're not putting anybody down. It's just, we're endeavoring to teach some things that we can use to help other people and help people help people, right? And so that's what we want to do. And so oftentimes a lot of people, you'll find that they get frustrated when they get questioned. And a lot of and a lot of people, um, you know, I've encountered this a lot, is that the more that you question them and ask them to prove their point, the more frustrated that they get. And they would get, they would inevitably, they get frustrated, I would say, because of a lack of knowledge on the subject. So they don't know how to explain it. They just know that they've partaken in it. And so, so we want to talk about the new birth. What does that mean? What is it? And let's just see if we can begin to break it down. And so, you know, unless the Lord would lead in a different way on Wednesday nights, I feel like we're going to go through 
a lot of different things. We're going to start with the number one thing in all of Christianity, which is the new birth. You must be born again. So let's endeavor to teach that and explain that because it can be taught correctly. It can be understood to where even my kids can teach it. And um, so then we'll move into um, what is the baptism in the Holy Spirit? What is the, the gifts of the Spirit? What is tongues and, and all of this different stuff? And so as we set the first week of December, we're embarking on, you know, a new year. And so we want to endeavor to set a teaching schedule for Wednesdays that would almost be complete. Like a, you know, I mean, it wouldn't surprise me that this doesn't become a 30-part series where, because we want to, we want to chronologically record the teaching so that someone can jump in and go backwards and pick up or go forwards and keep listening, or they can go all the way back to the beginning. And it's, this is going to lay a solid foundation all the way and then for everything else to be built on top of it. So that's what we're endeavoring to do. And so with this, uh, you know, we took a month off uh, to just figure out what what's the Lord want to do. And so in that month, I've got some things uh, that I believe that He wants to teach. So that's what we're going to do. So the new birth. John Chapter 3. John chapter 3 is one of the most absolutely most beautiful chapters in all of Scripture. And, of course, everybody, you know, many, many, many people that are not even born-again Christians know John 3.16, for God so loved. And so we're not trying to take anything away from that. Um, We're going to get to that. But we want to focus on, for tonight, and and as the next part goes, we're going to try to keep these (laughs) messages to 45 minutes i'm not making any promises uh because you just never can tell you don't want to you don't want to restrict the leading of the holy spirit you don't want to talk too long but you also do not want to um you also don't want to um, cut him short and so the new birth so look at verse one chapter three verse one There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Now, I want to break something down here real quick. It's actually not in my notes, but as I read that first verse, I remembered something that I wanted to say that I felt like was very important. All right, so G, so Nicodemus, and you'll come to find out here in just another verse, a couple verses, that what Nicodemus' status was in Israel at the time, okay? So if you just jump forward for just a minute, Jesus, Jesus says to Nicodemus, he says, let me see here, let me see where he pulls it up here. Jesus says to him, uh, how is it that, uh, verse 10, are you a teacher? Are you a or the teacher of Israel and you do not know these things? All right. So Nicodemus's status in Israel is he is either 
the top teacher of the Pharisees, for he is, is definitely in the upper upper echelon of the most revered, the most prestigious teachers in all of Israel at the time. Now, don't let the the fool you right there, because the the is not in the Greek manuscripts. Jesus just says, are you a teacher of Israel? And so it could be a teacher of Israel, or it could be the, but we know that Nicodemus is held in extremely high, high respects. So for Nicodemus, and it says that Nicodemus was a ruler of the Jews. This is the Greek word archon, and this is a ruler, a commander, a chief, a leader. So he is very, 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 very high up in the authority structure in the Pharisees. So for Nicodemus to come to Jesus and say, now listen to this, the Greek word, you, we pronounce this word rabbi. The Greek here is rabbi. And it's, listen to what it says here. It says, the translation, the, the definition for this word is, it's an official title of honor. We think that rabbi means teacher, and it kind of does, but in this setting, it could mean my great one, my honorable sir. Strong's defines this as a title used by the Jews to address their teachers and also honor them when not addressing them. So this man, Nicodemus, who sits in such high respect in Israel at the time, comes to Jesus by night, and, he, Jesus, and Nicodemus is a Pharisee, comes to Jesus by night, and the very first thing that he says to him is what? Rabbi. So he addresses Jesus with an extremely high title of honor. That's really cool to me. And he says... We know that you're a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. So this man comes to Jesus and he says, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God. No one can do the things that you do unless God is with him. So he makes a statement, doesn't he, and does not ask a question. So he makes a statement. But watch what Jesus does. <laughs> I love the Lord. He's so cool. Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. All right? Now, interestingly enough, Nicodemus asked him no question. Nicodemus did not ask a question. Nicodemus also did not make any type of statement pertaining to eternal life. But Jesus just, I mean, just, just flips his lid, doesn't he? Look what he says. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again. He cannot see the kingdom of God. <laughs> Nicodemus, I, could, I feel like I could see myself in Nicodemus' shoes right here. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Now, if you've ever seen The Chosen, 
there's this beautiful scene that I really, you know, some of their stuff I, that they did, I didn't care for. And some of it they did was fantastic. And, but there's this beautiful scene, um, between both actors where the guy that's playing Nicodemus says, he says, I hope that you don't expect me to go back to my mother's womb because she's dead. And so it's, <laughs> it's quite funny. You should go to YouTube YouTube and watch it. So Nicodemus's mind goes natural, right? Nicodemus's mind is on the natural. How can a grown, how can anybody, grown, young, just newborn, how can that person be born again? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Now, you'd think that Jesus would just pull Nicodemus right out of hot water here, wouldn't you? But he doesn't. He takes him in deeper. And verse 5 says, Jesus answered, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. <laughs> Nicodemus, I feel like, I mean, I just feel Nicodemus's pain right here. Nicodemus in verse 9 answered and said to him, <laughs> How can these things be? I mean, Jesus has just completely scrambled the brain of one of the greatest teachers in Israel. And, and, and poor Nicodemus is just sitting there, and the only thing he can say is, how can this be? How can a person be born again? This is where Jesus answers and says to him, are you the teacher of Israel and do not know these things? All right, so stop right there for just a second. So if you knew anything about the Pharisees and the Sadducees and all this different stuff, you would know that they gave their life to the study of the Scriptures. And it's, I think it's unfair that we categorize all of the Pharisees like Caiaphas or... Ananias, or even Saul of Tarsus, and all this and that, because there were Joseph of, Joseph of Arimathea was a Pharisee and was a follower of Jesus. Nicodemus is a follower of Jesus, and he was a Pharisee. So there were there were Pharisees in this group that were genuinely seeking the kingdom of God, genuinely seeking to be pleasing to the Lord, and. These men dedicated their life to the study of the Scriptures. And so if a man that is considered a teacher of teachers in Israel hears this statement, who's had all of these years of training in the Scriptures, if this man hears this statement, Jesus makes this simple statement, you must be born again, and it absolutely flips his lid how can we expect to go out and talk to people and people that have never been born again understand what we're saying? You see what I'm saying? It's kind of almost like we expect people to agree with us just because we've said this. 
And we actually, a lot of times I come to find, I feel like that we are almost trying to make people agree with us on uh, without evidence. And so what does Jesus do? He goes right back to the simplistic. Watch what he says when he goes to explaining this. Most assuredly, I say to you, we speak what we know, and we testify what we have seen. Well, who's he talking about? It's just him and Nicodemus on the top of this roof. Is he talking, has he got a frog in his pocket? No, he's talking about the Holy Spirit. And you do not receive our witness. Now listen to what he says. He says, if I have told you of earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? All right, so think about it like this. When we go to talk to people that have never been born again, never believed on Jesus as their Savior and Lord, if we're talking to them about simplistic earthly things and they cannot understand, how can we expect these uneducated, untrained people, not uneducated in the sense of lacking wisdom or knowledge, but uneducated and untrained in the Scriptures, how can we expect them to understand the things that we're saying? We cannot. So then we must be able to explain what needs to happen. So that way we can teach and we can help people. Does that make sense? Jesus goes on, verse 13, to say, No one has ascended to heaven but he who came down from heaven. That is the Son of Man who is in heaven. And as, now listen to this, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man, must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation that the light come, has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil, were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who comes to the truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be clearly seen, that they have been done in God. All right. So, Jesus uses a natural example to explain a spiritual thing. He says, you must be born again. And it flips Nicodemus's lid. He doesn't even understand what's going on here, right? And so we must understand that we have got to be able to get in the Scriptures, get everything out that we can, and then begin to let the Holy Spirit work in us to be able to talk to other people. So the title of the message is, You Must Be Born Again, question mark. What is that? And what does it even mean? Why must I be born again? So if you go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, I'm going to show you something. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. All right, now, 
if you started at, let's start at verse 23. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, who also will do it. All right, so it's very important to understand here that there are three parts of you that make you you. You are a spirit. Your soul, in the scope of the Greek New Testament, is defined as your mind, your will, and your emotions. Oftentimes, that is translated from the Greek word suke, and that is the mind, the will, and the emotions. So, the Lord kind of explained the soul to me, kind of like a hard drive on a computer. Now, we would want to go back over here to Hebrews chapter 4. So fast forward and go over to Hebrews chapter 4 real quick and let me show you something. Hebrews chapter 4. All right, now look at verse 12. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even, now watch, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joint and marrow. All right, so if your soul and your spirit was exactly the same thing, there could be no division line in it. For example, my arm is connected to my body, my torso at a shoulder joint. It can be severed at the shoulder joint. But my arm, just because it's connected to my torso, doesn't make my arm a torso or my torso an arm. There are two separate entities joined together. And your soul is encapsulated inside your spirit, boom, and the only thing that's powerful enough to separate them is the Word of God. But it is still two different entities nonetheless. And it's important for us to understand this. Now, Two of the greatest revelations that we get from New Testament to Old Testament is, is that in the Old Testament, you saw terminologies like Lord, the Lord God, so on and so forth, but you never get a full revelation that there are three parts to the Godhead, the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Much like in the Old Testament, we oftentimes see spirit and soul used almost interchangeably. And you don't get the revelation till you get to the New Testament that you are a spirit. You have a soul. And both of those are eternal. And they are both, at this time, encapsulated inside of a fleshly body. Your mind, you don't lose your mind or understanding or anything else when you step out of this body. How it would be most horribly unfortunate, but if someone was to step out of their body and go to hell, they're going to know who they are. They're going to know everything they did. They're going to know. They're going to know it all. You would see that in the parable that Jesus talks about Lazarus and the rich man. Remember, Lazarus sat at the, at the feet of the rich man's gate, and the dogs licked his sores and all different stuff. And the rich man had a good life and fared sumptuously and never did do anything for Lazarus or any other poor people. And Lazarus died, and he was carried to Abraham's bosom by the angels, and the rich man died, and he went to hell. And in hell, he could look up across, across a great gulf and see Lazarus and see Abraham. And he cried out to Abraham, Abraham, 
send Lazarus over here to dip his finger in water and just drip it on my tongue. Or send someone back to warn my brothers, don't come to this place. That man knew who he was in hell. You step out. So, excuse me, that man's spirit and soul was cast into hell. So your spirit is the eternal body, for lack of a better term, and your soul is the eternal mind. And you will know who you are, much like you get to heaven. You're not going to be floating around on a cloud with a little bow and arrow, like a little, <laughs> like a little <laughs> diaper-wearing baby. You know, you're not going to be floating around on a cloud. No, you're going to know exactly who you are. You will be known, and you will know just as you are known. So it's important to understand it. So the spirit, this is what Jesus is addressing. In the saving, in the new birth of the spirit, the soul is ultimately saved, but then you'll come to find out that you've got to do something with it. You've got to renew your mind. You've got to start doing things to change your way of thinking. Even though your soul's eternal, that's in your hand to do something with to begin to make it look like what God wants it to look like. So this new birth. What does why do you have to have a new birth? What does that even mean? Jesus says, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Unless you are born again, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now see, it, there's a theme here that you that is sometimes maybe easily overlooked. But see, Jesus is really talking about dealing with sin. He's referring to, back in the time, he says, and as the Son of Man is lifted up, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, those people had sinned against God. They had complained against God in the wilderness. And Moses had to make a bronze serpent and set it up on a staff, and everyone that cast their, fixed their eyes upon that serpent was delivered from the power of the bite of the serpents that was released into the camp. So sin introduced the sting of the serpent, the bite of the serpent. The punishment was the serpent, the, bite, the venom of the serpent. And they, many of them died. And it, but it's important to understand that sin is what brought forth the punishment and the judgment. And he says here, and it's interesting, because he says, God did not send me into the world to condemn it. He sent me to save it. Isn't that something? And so Jesus is really talking about a sin issue. Okay? So then, where does this all root from? Where is it? Where does it? Where does this start? And interestingly enough, I just seen this in my notes, and I'm glad that I gazed through that. So if you go and you look at verse 3 in John chapter 3, it says, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again. Now, born again, really, if you've got a Bible right there that gives you some type of uh, indicators and markers, you probably got a number right there or an asterisk. And if you read that, what the note on it is, it says, or fathered from above. So Jesus says, 
Another way to say that is, is most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is fathered from above, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Unless you are born of God, fathered from above, you cannot enter nor see the kingdom of God. But why must you be born again or fathered from above? Ultimately, a lot of people mistakenly think that you are born into this world a sinner and you are spiritually separated from God at birth. Now, we're going to prove that that is not right in the sight of the Scriptures. We are going to prove it. But we want to spend here just a few minutes talking about why must someone be born again? Because, see, it's important to understand that the Spirit is eternal. The soul is eternal either way. Step out of this body, go to hell, you're going to exist for eternity. But spiritual death is separation from God because in Him alone is true life. So the gift of eternal life is an eternal existence in the presence of the living God. It's not a duration of time. And it's important to understand that it is time without end in the presence of the true God, the living God. And it's important to understand that. So why must you be fathered from above? All right. So Genesis chapter 1. Let's go back to, let's go back a few chapters and go to Genesis chapter 1. So listen to what, listen to what the Holy Spirit says right here in this. Genesis chapter 1, starting at verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, See, I have given you every herb that yields seed, which is on the face of all the earth, and every tree whose fruit whose fruit yields seed, to you it shall be for food. Also to every beast of the earth, to every bird of the air, and to everything that creeps on the earth, in which there is life. I have given every green herb for food, and so it was. Then God saw everything that he made, and indeed it was very good. So the evening and the morning were the sixth day. So we want to kind of focus on verse 26. Then God said, Let us make man in our image and according to our likeness. Let's make man look like us and be like us. Let's make man look like us and be like us. Let's give them dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over, over every creeping thing, over all the earth. So then Adam was made the God, the ruler of the earth. So he was made to look like God, and he was made to be like God, and then God gave him complete authority over the earth, set him as the ruling king over the entire earth. Could a natural being be able to do that? No. So then Adam was made a little bit different than we were. But when he fell, 
he became like us. So chapter 2, verses 1 through 9, bunch of reading here, so, you know, it stands to reason that if you're going to listen to me teach, you better have a Bible, a notebook, and be ready to do a lot of reading. Because we use a lot of scripture to prove our point. We don't want any one-verse theologians running around this place coming out of this outfit. So it's starting at chapter 2, verse 1. Thus the heavens and the earth and all the host of them were finished. And on the seventh day God ended his work, which he had done and rested on the seventh day. Don't let that fool you. He didn't plop down on the couch because he was tired. That just means that he ceased from his work, from all the work that he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because in that he ceased from his work, which God had created and made. And then you go on down there, starting at, uh, let's see, let's just keep on going. This is the history of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens before any plant of the earth was in the earth, any plant of the field was in the earth, and before any herb of the field had grown. For the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the earth. And there was no man to till the ground, but a mist went up from the earth and watered the whole face of the ground. So in this picture, you're getting a little bit of information about what happens in the days before God made Adam. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed nostril into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. The Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden. I find that interesting that it says that he did that. The Lord's into stuff like that. And there he put the man who he had formed. Isn't that interesting? So he formed the man, made the man, planted the garden, took what he'd made, put it in what he'd made, and expected him to take care of it. Seems to me that the Lord's a worker, and he expects us to be workers. All right, then you jump down to look at verses 15 through 17, same chapter, chapter 2. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to tend it, to tend and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. All right. Now, the literal Hebrew here would read like this. In dying, you will die. So Genesis chapter 2 tells us of two deaths. And Jesus tells us of two births in John chapter 3. Genesis 1 declares, in dying, you will die. In John chapter 3, Jesus tells us, lest you be born of water and of the Spirit, you cannot be, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. So Genesis 1, let's rephrase that, let's reiterate that. Genesis 1, or Genesis chapter 2, tells us of two deaths, two potential deaths that God warns Adam of for what? What does God warn Adam will bring this on him. Was it eating of the fruit that brought it on him, or was it the rebellion against the command? It was the rebellion against the command of God that would usher in two deaths. So prior to this, it was impossible for Adam to die other than through sin and rebellion. Wouldn't that stand to reason? So God warns Adam do not eat of this, because when you do, you're going to die. You're going to surely die. Well, you know. You know the rest of the story. Adam goes in. 
He does not eat of it. What, who eats first? Eve. Eve eats first, and then he throws Eve under the bus after he eats. And he says, Lord, I didn't even know what was happening. This woman that you gave me. <laughs> it's what he says. I can't help it. That's what he said. And so you could read, I would encourage you to read. We're not going to read it. I have it in my notes, but I encourage you to read Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 19, where it talks about the it where it talks about the actual fall of man. Eve eats of the apple. It's not apple, fruit. Eve eats of the tree first. And then she gives to Adam, and Adam eats. And so then the very first thing that happens to them is that they are now spiritually separated from God. That's the very first thing that happens. Spiritual separation from God is death one. Spiritual death. Death number two is now the natural death. Now you will ultimately take, you will ultimately partake in two deaths by default. If you never get born again, you will partake in two deaths. But it's two births that you should be concerned about. Because you're going to die naturally unless Jesus comes back before we, but you know, while we're here. We're all going to go by home by the way of the grave. We're going to leave this earth through natural death. Well, we want to look at spiritual death that takes place first. And we want to show in the light of the scripture spiritual death. And so obviously my notes, I see, did not update from last night. Or maybe I didn't even add them. I probably didn't, Adam, because I thought, oh, I'll just read that right there while I'm preaching. Uh, because if you want to know the truth, I got to watch in the Obi-Wan Kenobi series and probably stayed up later than I should have. <laughs> I know y'all, no one has any trouble like that, but y'all pray for me. All right. So listen to this. Go to Romans chapter 6. Now see, we want to establish and we want to be able to prove what we're talking about. Right? So, we see in Adam a spiritual death. All right? And it's important to understand that. Now, every person born after Adam is born with an Adamic nature. That's the capability to sin. That's the Adamic nature. Is you have the capability to sin, and you're going to. No one can live this life because now human race has fallen below God, God's status that he had Adam at when he started. The whole human race fell below that level. And every person that's born after Adam, including those two kids, Cain and Abel, and then Seth, you see that? So that, the idemic nature, is the capability to sin, and you will sin, and you will die spiritually. But we want to prove that the spiritual death is what something that takes place after you're born. We want to nail this down and get to understand this. You are not born spiritually dead. You are not born a sinner. Sin is an action. Sin is an action. You are 
not born a sinner. Now let's prove it. All right. Romans chapter 6, starting at verse 23. The Spirit of God through the Apostle Paul says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. All right. So let's try to straighten something out here for just a minute. It, this is not a... This, this scripture is not referring to something that happens again and again and again and again and again. It's important to understand that what's talking about here is that the wages of sin is spiritual separation from God, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. So let me say it like this. You don't get born again, give eternal, get eternal life, sin, and die. And then get born again, sin, and then die. And then get born again, and then sin, and then die. Does that make sense? <clears throat> now, we will eventually cover what I do believe is the capability to fall from grace and your salvation. And we're not going to teach that as that's something that's 100%, but we are going to talk about it, and I'm going to, form, and I'm going to lay out the scriptures for why I believe what I believe about it. So, but... Paul, the Spirit of God through Paul says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, you've got to remember the Bible was not written in chapter and verse, and the Pauline epistles were certainly not written in chapter and verse. These were letters. So imagine that there's no chapter break right there, and it goes on to say, Or do you not know, brethren, for I speak to those who know the law, that the law has dominion over a man as long as he lives. Now he's talking about the law of God given through Moses. This is the law that he's talking about. For the woman who has a husband is bound by the law to her husband as long as he lives. Uh, ladies, please don't start praying for your husbands to die so that you can get out from under this. Work it out. Walk in 1 Corinthians 13. So then, if while her husband lives, she marries another man, she would be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law, so that there she is no adulteress, though she has married another man. Therefore, my brethren, you also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ, that you may be married to another. So what? let's break this down a little bit, because some of the terminology here may be a little bit slightly confusing. Paul says that you cannot, a man could not be removed out from under the law of God except through death. Like a woman can't be removed out from under the marriage to a man lest he die. Does that make sense? Okay, so that's what is being said up to this point. Now, let's go on. And it says, therefore, my brethren, you also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ that you may be married to another. To him who was raised from the dead that we should bear fruit to God. For when we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by, aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit to death. But now we have been delivered from the law, having died to what we were held by, so that we should serve in the newness of the Spirit and not in the oldness of the law. So he's talking about that through the new birth, you are removed out from under the law of God as far as judgment. 
and righteousness and, and attainment of eternal life. It doesn't mean that you get to go ahead just because you got born again, that you now it's okay for you to kill and to steal and to covet and all this different stuff. Does that make sense? It's talking about the law pertaining to the attainment of righteousness and eternal life. All right, now watch what verse 7 says here. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. On the contrary, I would not have known sin except through the law, for I would not have known covetousness unless the law had said you shall not covet. All right. Now we would understand that I believe that it's the epistle to the Galatians that Paul tells us that the law was a schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. It's a teacher. It, the law of God teaches us that we can't be right we can't be perfect and blameless in the sight of God through our own actions. That law charges everyone under sin so that everybody has to come to eternal life through Christ Jesus. There's only one way. Doesn't matter how good you've been. Doesn't matter how bad you've been. Doesn't matter. It makes no difference. The law confines everybody on the earth under sin so that now you can attain eternal life through Christ. For the wages of sin is death. So the law confines everybody under sin, which confines everybody under spiritual death. And now the only pathway out of spiritual death into eternal life is through Christ Jesus. Faith in Christ Jesus the Lord, right? And so he goes on to say, now listen to what he says, but sin taking opportunity by the commandment produced in me all manner of evil desire. For apart from the law, sin was dead. I was once alive without the law, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. All right, now pause right here just a second. If he died naturally, if this is pertaining to a natural death, there's no way in the world Paul wrote this is this is coming through Paul. So then he must be referring to another death. He's talking about spiritual death. And this is what he says. And the commandment which was to bring life, I found to bring death for sin taken occasion by the commandment, deceived me, and by it, it killed me. Therefore, the law is holy and the commandment, holy and just and good. So if you were not born alive to God, how in the world did Paul die because of sin? You see what I'm saying? Does that make sense? Either Paul has flipped his lid here, and he's crazy, or what he's telling us is, is that no... I was alive to God once until the law came, and when the law came, sin revived in me, and it deceived me, and in deceiving me, sin killed me. Sin killed me. It separated me from God. Two deaths, two births. Two deaths, two births. The first death that genuinely, that, well, I mean, when you, of course, you know, there are children and it's terribly unfortunate that they do leave this earth at a young age. 
And so, but it's important to understand though, that probably someone out there is probably thinking about the, uh, age of accountability. <clears throat> there is no such thing. There is no such a thing as a specific age of accountability. A child brought up in a Christian home and taught, now I'm saying taught, taught right, the accountability for that child will be far less than it would be for a child that was raised up in the home with a bunch of heathens. And see, God won't make you stand and account for what you don't know. See, that's why it's so important to get your kids, get them taught right, get them born again, get them living for God. Does that make sense? Two deaths, two births. So, say for example, an adult like myself. The very first death that I would partake in is spiritual death. That when I first time knowingly sinned and did wrong, now immediately I am separated from God. And I will stay separated from God because I've already participated in one birth. I didn't do much, but I was there. I showed up. So I participated in one birth and one death. Now, the next step is I need to be born again before I experience the second death. Because unless Jesus tarries, again, like I said, and we go home by the way of the grave, every person on the face of the earth is going to experience both deaths. Spiritual death first. Under normal circumstances, you understand, we're not talking about children, young children, things like babies, things along those lines. But under normal circumstances, the very first thing that you will participate in is born of water. Then the next thing you will participate in is death because of spiritual separation. Death because of sin. Spiritual separation from God. Now, this is why Jesus says, what became spiritually separated from God? Your spirit. You did not die naturally. You died spiritually. So your spirit is severed from God. Killed. Separated from God. It's important to understand that. Now, the way that we get back to God is what? Faith in Jesus Christ as our Savior and our Lord. Now, you'll, interestingly enough, you'll come to find out that if you study the Scriptures, there are a lot of people that put a lot of requirements on a new birth that's not necessarily scriptural. Let's prove that. I'd hate to make a statement and not prove it. Go over, you're still in Romans. Go over to chapter 10, because someone may hear this message and say, hey, I want to be born again. Now, if you want to be born again and you're watching this, contact me, shoot me a message, and we'll work with you, because this is very simple. But listen to this. Listen to what it says right here. Romans chapter 10. Now, this is the qualifications for salvation. This is the qualifications for eternal life. Right? All right. Let's just start reading at verse 1. We're going to read several verses right here. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness 
and seeking to establish their own righteousness have not submitted to the righteousness of God. So think about it like this. If you're trying to, if you're trying to establish your own righteousness, you're not submitting to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. For Moses writes about righteousness, the righteousness which is of the law. The man who does these things shall live by them. But the righteousness of faith speaks this way. Do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down from above. Or who will descend into the abyss? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. For whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now watch this. How, can, how then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe on him in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? So God says... They must hear. But how can they hear if you're not telling it? If you're not telling people. See, this interestingly enough, people say, well, you know, all these tribes, these remote tribes and all these people in remote countries and everything else, you know, that never heard a witness of the gospel, God just throws them right in hell. Well, that would prove, that would prove right there that he doesn't. You know, God's not looking for a reason to throw people into hell. If he was, we'd all be there. I'd say that again. If he was looking for a reason to throw people into hell, we'd, every one of us would be there. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And then that might prompt the question, well, what does God do then? Well, you know what? We don't know. We don't know what he does. But the Bible doesn't say that someone who hasn't heard goes right straight to hell. It's just a fact of the matter. Two births, two deaths. Two deaths, two births. You must be born again. I pray this message strengthened, blessed, and encouraged you. You can find Word of Life Ministries on YouTube and Facebook. Just look for the guy with the cowboy hat on.